This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times. Hello and welcome to yet again another glorious episode of Before My Time. This week I'm super excited because I am joined by a new lovely guest, Katie Elsesser. She's the co-host of the Geekscape podcast and a longtime sketch and improv comedian. And she is here to join us to talk about none other than legendary Carol Burnett and specifically The Carol Burnett Show. So I'm really excited about this episode. Let's dive right in with Katie. It's The Carol Burnett Show. With Harley Gordon. Okay, Katie, let's dive into Carol Brunette. Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. So I don't know when you first heard or saw uh, Carol Burnett, but I was in high school doing shows and so many people told me that I reminded them of her physicality and, and whatnot. I was like, who the hell is this Carol Burnett? Because <laughs> this is way before my time. And of course, she's still around, which is awesome. And I would love to meet her. I know. Day. Amazing. I know. right? <laughs> Actually, I have a side photo off to the right over here. But I was like, who is this? And this was around the time that like YouTube was kind of starting and you couldn't find a lot of good stuff on there but you could find just very grainy clips and I started watching it and I was like wait a minute this is genius and it kind of opened my world up to Carol Burnett just as a whole oh that's 
That's great. Yeah. And so you were performing in high school too. So you're kind of in on that. That was actually similar to me. I performed in high school as well. Nice. Yeah. I was on the comedy improv team too. So it was kind of bringing that in. Yeah. I have to say, you know, it kind of made me sad this morning. I was like, okay, Carol Burnett, let's get ready. And I, for some reason in my head, it was like, oh, I'm so familiar with the Carol Burnett show because I'm so familiar with her. And I realized I'm not. And it made me sad because it's totally my everything style. I, I love all the actors in it and I'm, I love their work. And I was like, why have I kind of like ranted at my mom? I was like, why didn't you show us this? Oh no. <laughs> but Carol Burnett, I was first introduced to her as a kid when I was watching Annie. That's, oh yes. Yes. Miss uh, Hannigan, right? Miss Hannigan, yeah. Yes. And she kills it in it. And I always remember as a kid being like, oh, she's so good and I want to be her. And I like her performance and that is just I mean it's very epically Carol Burnett no right. one could have done it better the things that she does with her face are just Gumby like like you know and just the physicality was what drew me in as a kid but then as I got older like I, I went off to college and YouTube got better and I yeah. found <laughs> even better clips and I was like oh my gosh, the writing in this is fantastic. And of course she had such a brilliant writer staff and a great costume department uh, with Bob Mackie. You know, it's so funny because especially when it comes to the Carol Burnett show, you know, everybody knows the dentist sketch. Everybody talks about the dentist sketch where they like, he gets numbed by like this kind of numbing thing. And then slowly his body starts to like flail around, which is hilarious. But the sketch that always got me that no one ever talks about is the operation sketch where it's like a guy getting an appendicitis out or something like that, um, or his appendix out. And they're like, it's going to be fine. It's no big deal. And then Harvey Corman turns to Carol Burnett and says, scalpel. Scalpel, please. I want a divorce. (laughs) And then suddenly this scene is just something completely different. And it's not about this guy who's like procedure as usual. It's like, it's like about this strife that's hidden under the seams with this doctor and this nurse. The way that they would amp up situations like that, that just seemed normal and then would get wacky as hell was so brilliant to me. And that's something that definitely went into my comedy writing later on. Yeah, I do. I love it. She does have a very, um, I don't even know if I'd put it in like surrealism comedy. Some of her sketches are, but it is, I guess most comedy is exploiting a situation to an sure. extreme fully dramatic you know but right. she does do that very well i'm i'm looking right now also at the list of guests they've had oh, on the yeah. show and wow i mean there's no one that wasn't on the show that was the cool thing about her show too is that she would talk to the audience either when the quote unquote cameras weren't rolling or whatnot and she would she would do bits with the audience in, in like such a way that I never really saw, like, because at that time, it, everything felt very formal, you know, like, every, like guys had suits and ties um, and, you know, they would address the audience, but the audience was almost beneath and Carol would like really talk to the audience and, and like goof around with like her, her props and her costumes and things like that. And then she would even take questions from the audience. That's awesome. It was something that like that kind of stuck with me too, because it felt like instead of having this like comedy is so unreachable, it felt like you get this because this is for you Mm -hmm. and you get to be a part of this too, because each show is a part of something that we can all laugh about together. Gosh, it's almost like she took like, it's like a formula that didn't exist, taking a comedy show, a sketch show, and then almost meshing it with what we would know as like a talk show 
or, you know, that kind of live audience where they blatantly talk to the audience. Like, right. But it right. I was like, in lack of better words. No, but for sure. It, it, like that, that wasn't really something that was really done. It was kind of like the, uh, the audience was there almost as a prop. And it was like, you're here for, you know, the laughter tract or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that More will probably calm formula. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it felt like she kind of like brought the audience in with her and, and, I, I thought that was such a genius move because, I mean, comedy is nothing without somebody laughing. <laughs> this know? is a very true fact. <laughs> no, it's it's great. And actually, some of my – I have seen clips from it and I do love – I mean, of course, any sketch show everyone loves when they break. It's, mm. It just makes a sketch even funnier. But I feel like right. they have some of the best blooper reels. They do. Oh, they do. Tim Conway was the one that would always make them break. Tim Conway was just one of those guys that like never broke and would kill every single cast member in that show. What great like regular cast members where they had Harvey Corman, Tim Conway and Vicky Lawrence, who apparently Vicky Lawrence was a big fan of Carol Burnett. And I found this out from her book, but Vicky Lawrence was a big fan of Carol Burnett before and was talking about how she was in high school and wrote her a letter or something like that. And then Carol Burnett came and saw her do a show or something and then decided to invite her on as like a regular cast member because she was like, she just reminded me so much of myself. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, if I could only have been in that time. (laughs) Right. Come watch me. You come watch me. It's great to hear always kind of those like founded stories instead of, you know, it's just that genuine... Just happened to see her and I instantly was like, yep, her, instead of the lined up of, you know, hundreds of people trying to get in and it just makes a more genuine connection and, and it shows. Yeah. No, it, it totally shows. And it, it's interesting. Yeah, you say that because like, I don't know, it it's funny auditioning with comedy because it feels like so canned. And I don't know how much you've done in terms of like sketch or like even just like auditioning for something that's sketch. It feels so weird and canned because it's like, it feels like it's for a purpose as opposed to just doing something for fun. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the best way you can scout comics or comedy is by going to just sketch shows and not saying that like auditions don't work but it just feels like it's such a different environment yeah you can't really perform a sketch in front of like okay here's my one it's more of a one-man show but like here's uh for this panel and i'm trying to make you laugh and of course most of the time you won't because in an audition room for anyone that has not been in it is the most stone cold like you know you get no reaction and you're like was that good was it okay i think i didn't get it and you never know and but when you kind of are feeding off of either other members of the comedy team or an audience that's laughing it's just like that feedback of energy is going to make the performance so much better which is why I think most sketch shows even to this day are filmed in front of a live audience because that immediate live feedback is everything. It really is. And it's funny because I'm, I'm watching some like more recent sketch shows lately, like Auntie Donna's House of Fun or uh, Black Lady Sketch Show, which is fantastic. It, and they're good. It's just, it, it's funny how there's a, such a live audience appeal. I, I think this is why SNL has gone for so long because it feels like a lot of like, at least the Netflix sketch shows or the HBO sketch shows, they breach into the absurd because there's no audience. And it feels like you almost, it's out of necessity when, you know, doing it in front of a live audience or in front of a state, a studio audience, 
there's something so much more immediate and so much more like you're, it's a shared experience that you can only get at a live performance. Mm-hmm. You know, those kinds of things where, <laughs> you know, Carol Burnett just suddenly saying, I want a divorce out of nowhere is such a bigger moment than if it was just single cam shot in a dead space room. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, and actually speaking on this, uh, Matt just sent over a little bit of trivia here. Um, and said, according to a trivia page, every episode was filmed twice for two different audiences to allow Ooh. them to use the version of the sketch with the best audience reaction. So <laughs> that seems a very excessive that they would do that every time. That's a lot of filming, but that is actually incredible. They're like, that what is the best laugh? <laughs> well, it makes sense. Cause I think, I think SNL does that too with their like pre-record. But they also do that um, to know which sketches to cut during the live broadcast. Right. That's interesting. That does make sense. Oh, that's so funny. I wonder how long that took them. I know that. (laughs) I'd be like, we got it. We're fine. Just rent. Like over the course of two days, maybe? Or I don't know, but like the writing of all that. According to IMBD trivia, Tim Conway improved all of his lines without telling the cast to make them laugh. So going back to him trying to make them... (laughs) Oh, with the... Yeah, I'm, I'm which, sure it's with the the elephant sketch, which he talks about two Siamese twin elephants that are connected by the trunk. It's just <laughs> such a visual that you can only come up with in your head. Well, and that's the kind of things if if you hear these things beforehand or you see them in the script and you're like, okay, you can kind of mentally prepare for what the other actor or, or comedian is going to throw at you and how you're right. supposed to react, and this is part of it. But when someone throws you a curveball and you're live, it's, it's it right. does throw you, and it's there's always one asshole that's just like their goal is They're to make everyone it. laugh. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I do like how Carol Burnett makes way for those. Kind of bigger personalities in comedy. Uh, she always like made way for Tim Conway to just do his thing, or Vicky Lawrence to even do her thing as the grandma. One of the best examples I saw of like of Carol Burnett just kind of like stepping back and letting someone do their thing. There's this sketch with Robin Williams and Carol Burnett, and it's called the Funeral Home, and Carol Burnett's husband has passed away. They're at the funeral, and. Robin Williams comes up and he's just like a friend from work or something. He's kind of like a weird, I think a weird guy that they met on a bus or something. And Robin Williams like does his whole shtick. He does it line for line. Very brilliant. Very funny. And then Carol Burnett comes to the audience after the scene is over. And she's like, Robin wants to do it one more time. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to improvise some lines pray for me. And then she just goes back into it. And like, so like, it was so funny because she's like acknowledging like, I'm going to do the scene as I know it and just kind of see what happens with Robin. And of course, Robin goes off the rails and like, it's hilarious, but she stays in and so focused and just kind of lets his comedy shine through Mm -hmm. because she, she knows that's like, that's his whole shtick is just going manic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's what makes her obviously so special as a person and a performer, but that show so special is that it wasn't just the me, me, me and and making whatever she looks best in. It was like, what's best for the guests, what highlights everybody to the best of their ability and and, in their best light. And that only just betters the show and only helps everything. So it's, it's truly such like, you can just see how much of an artist she is, but as a person, how much she cares about everyone's skills right. that and, and an art and you know I keep saying art hate when people well, are like it's my art <laughs> knock knock who's there but it is it's a, you know <laughs> this is what I've slaved over <laughs> yeah their skill their will whatever it be you know you could call it this and that but it's so true though 
Yeah. So do you know how the Carol Burnett show got started? I think I know a little bit, at least just pulling from my memory of the book, because I know that she she was trying to do Broadway shows a million different ways. She grew up in LA. Um, actually, her family were Scientologists. I don't know if that's been known, um, but they were like, she would skip going to, she went to the Hollywood uh, high school, which her face is like, oddly painted on the side of um, <laughs> there's like a bunch of different like famous faces on the side of Hollywood High School but I think hers is up there as well and it looks a little gnarly but <laughs> no offense to the artiste but <laughs> I believe she was she she would just try and always create these shows or like kind of reviews because like her friends and her they weren't being cast like it, the, people weren't giving them a shot and she would always go to the movies um, when she was a kid and just like fall in love with all these famous actors. I think at one point she just started doing her own show on top of like, she was touring with Once Upon a Mattress. Okay. As the lead in that show. I know, isn't that great? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then eventually she was uh, the queen at one point because she started out as the ingenue part and then eventually became the queen because she got older. But I think it was around then that like she started pitching this sort of like variety show idea. But if you have more knowledge, <laughs> please <laughs> tell me because I don't, I don't think I actually know how the the genesis of the actual show happened. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, like you said, she obviously was performing, going around doing Broadway. She was a regular supporting cast member on the Gary Moore show on CBS. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she was on the Paul Winchell show and a mm. sitcom, a couple, and then, and then doing her own shows and whatnot. And so she had a contract with CBS for 10 years, which required oh. her to do two guest appearance and a special a year. She's and like, how about this? <laughs> I know. Within the first five years of the contract, she had the option to what they quote unquote called push the button, a phrase that they had in programming to be put on the air in 31 hour pay or play variety shows. Ooh. So that's kind of, that yeah. Phrase. It's like, oh, so after, you know, she talked to her husband, Joe, and in the fifth year of her contract, she decided to call the head of CBS, Michael Dan, and go for that clause. She had no interest in doing a sitcom. They kind of that was presented to her. And so it, yeah, they were I, kind of obliged to give her her own show. <laughs> that's so fantastic. And, and what a cast to just start out with too. Oh my gosh. Just some heavy hitters, which means like she's, she's been established for so long and it kind of makes me sad. You, you know, you'll see her in review shows or like if I don't know, PBS re-releases the Carol Burnett show in the DVD cases again, she'll come on and like say a couple words. But I miss that kind of comedy from someone just so profoundly established. Like it feels like around like the Betty White times as well, mm -hmm. where it's just like you've been through every version of television special or TV show or guest star or whatnot. And you're such a great presence. <laughs> it's like we, we don't really, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like we truly have something like that right now. No, I agree. I don't think, I mean, I think it's great. And if I guess we can go into the topic also of women in comedy, we'll <laughs> segue into that. <laughs> you know, how could we avoid that? But it is, it's important. And I think she was such a huge player in it and, and that pioneering. But at that point, yeah. we didn't see a strong female comedian as frequently as we do now. Right. And now it is great because it is much more integrated in. It's kind of, you know, it's SNL's great example. It's, it's very 50, yeah. 50 of men to female or, you know, and it's, right. but you don't find that like one rising forward, breaking those boundaries to be like, this is me. 
I'm going to push it, but I've got the talent. I've got the people behind me. I've got, you know, it's something of that degree, which I'm sure in, in an element behind closed doors is happening, (laughs) you know, that we, that people are pushing boundaries and we're like, I have no idea, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) coming out of the, you know, start of the sitcom era and sketch comedy, even the tonight shows, talk shows, it was all men hosts. It was, you know, obviously we have Lucille Ball is probably the first full on breaking those boundaries and walls and, and creating what we know today as a multi-cam sitcom and creating the first live audience show. Yeah. Which if people didn't know that, yes, I Love Lucy <laughs> is the first multi-cam live audience show. They were it the is. first show also to put cameras on tracks, break mm-hmm. down a couple walls and morph two different sets into one studio. Aud- I love it. It's I'm so nerding out right now because I'm like, I, I, I love Lucille Ball too, because she's such a pioneer as well. And, you know, all of these women are just, they're giants in terms of like females in comedy and, and paving the way for, for women to like have a shot really, even mm-hmm. in my mediocrity or whatever, like they're, they're just so unbelievably talented. And one of the things that I loved about, I can't even remember which Carol Burnett book. I've read so many um, <laughs> that she's written, but uh, there was one book where she talks about how she had a conversation with Lucille Ball. And Lucille Ball was like, I just don't understand how you can do this on your own without a male partner or someone who's like kind of speaking for you or on your behalf. Like that's unbelievable that you were able to do that on mm-hmm. your own. And, and just seeing like, Two comedy giants, like, respecting each other and just being, like, Lucille Ball saying, like, you know, like, I had to do this with Desi Arnaz. Yeah. I had to, like, make way for that. But, like, and then Carol Burnett being, like, the one to actually do it basically from her own ideas and from her own casting and from her own volition and, and her own deal uh, without having a man attached to it. That's like, that's groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, that is actually, you say that and it's just like, oh my gosh, to think that Lucy will be like, how can you do this without a man? It just shows you, you know, sign of the times, but it, it does, it's kind of these stepping stones of where we came from, where we've are and where we're going, where mm-hmm. it's, you know, Lucille Ball needed that to even break in because, you know, right. she wouldn't right. have been able to do even what she did do. That was such a huge breaking that down, but knowing that, you know, she has to have someone connected to it. And now you move on mm-hmm. to Carol Burnett and she's at an age, you know, it's what, 20 years after mm-hmm. Lucille Ball, maybe a little less, or the I Love Lucy show. But- yeah, because she, she was, uh, Carol Burnett was around the 70s and, and Lucille Ball mm-hmm. was like 50. Yeah, so that makes sense around 20 mm-hmm. years or so. Well, and it just takes that time. And now it's, you also are kind of seeing the progression of society and where we can yeah. go with that. And it's it's a cool stepping stone to kind of look back and go, oh yeah, that's, you know, but had that not happened, then that wouldn't have, you know, right. started to pave the path for her. And then it's just kind of this trickle down effect. But I feel like, and I could be totally ignorantly leaving someone out but i feel like those two lovely redheads yes. are kind of the first completely natural for their own oh, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Um, maybe i should dye my hair i'll be fine <laughs> yeah, there um, we go. That, that's the ticket <laughs> yeah it seems like after lucy you know I'm, I'm sure there were many and there were comedians to come along but carol burnett was really the next big name yeah you know have has a name that is her sh- her show that is her name right <laughs> and right. kind of breaking this you know but it it seems like she is really the next step of 
female comedians as we know it to that extent extent and degree yeah and and it, you know we we don't really see variety shows other than snl or something like that or i guess just talk shows like you were saying before mm-hmm. there's no real format of like a review anymore and i think because carol burnett came from broadway came from like that kind of extreme talent along mm-hmm. with lucille ball as well but you know lucille ball had a, a sitcom as opposed to you know carol burnett who decided to do let's just do everything let's bring all of these talented people on and like we'll have a different thing every single time which is a dream in my mind like i understand like it would be listen to me it would be cool to have a sitcom absolutely especially a long-running one <laughs> yes, please i'll take that yes, uh, thank you very if anyone's much. listening we will take two contracts right here thank you thank and- you <laughs> absolutely but like to be able to do a show so consistently and and to be able to record it twice um for two audiences i know i know know. like that that is so and it's something that like tina Fey even talks about in her her books about comedy is that like you write it on the page it's so funny in the moment and then you get to either filming it or on stage and it's like you're still tweaking it or doing something new with it because you don't want it to be stale you don't want it to fall flat And that's what was so beautiful about the review style of show is that it was very fresh. It was very like motion forward. It wasn't something that's like plotted out after like weeks and weeks of just like being harangued over a script. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is like you said, that variety, it's, it almost feels more like a variety show than just strictly a sketch show or just strictly. And, And that's kind of, you don't, you definitely don't see that now. It's, you know, you have your, traditional but the only other show i mean there were a a few comedy variety slash sketch shows then but it's almost like and ironically matt and i had an episode previous to this about the muppet show and it's it's almost like the muppet show is their formula and the carol burnett show are very similar it is i mean i mean the the variety show itself it's like you know you've got your main host or your main cast or whoever it is come out do some kind of a monologue get you ready and excited for the show you do a musical act you do a couple sketches you do another musical act maybe you even do like a short interview or something like that but it's like it's a review of different talented people doing their thing that they do best in a non-connected storyline for however long you have the show for. And I guess maybe like the nostalgia of this is hitting more home just being in the pandemic and like not mm-hmm. being able to see live shows or mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of a variety because like that it's just like not something that's out there unless you happen to upon a Zoom variety show, which is yeah. in and of itself rough. We've been trying, but you know what? Unfortunately, these Zoom entertainments and this, that, again, you know, they tried, but it's just not the same. It's, it's not. <laughs> I and can you know, appreciate the attempt to keep entertainment going and people smiling. And it's, you know, we were trying to find our way and we still are, but uh, ugh, it's just not the same. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And I think that's that. That's kind of our burden to bear in the next couple of years too, is just kind of changing the way that looks. Uh, because, you know, YouTube became the place for sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, digital media has become the place for comics to kind of like do their thing or like gain an audience or dare I say, and please comedy gods, don't strike me down. TikTok, you know, is, oh, is I a know. way. If I, I know, hear I know. one more person telling me, everyone's like, Kelsey, you need to get on TikTok. Cause I, I actually do have a YouTube channel and I, I do put yeah. videos, but it's just kind of like when I feel like it, I don't know. Well, we'll Agreed. It, it just, it makes me sick, but like, I'm like, okay, TikTok is of the time and it is something I, I, 
I did it like a character for a while. It was called Somebody's Mom. And it was just like, a, <laughs> it was basically <laughs> the version of every church lady I grew up with exploring the pandemic and just being wigged up by everything. I thought I thought I had the COVIDs, but uh, it turns out I was just hungover. Um, you know, <laughs> stupid stuff like that. And I'm like, and it went well, but I was just like, the amount of stuff you have to do daily and keep it up it, it annoys me. Where I'm it, like, is, I, it is I, very I, annoying. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm such, as much as I'm like all for improv and um, sketches and like prepping, like I, I, I feel like I'm, you know, like I like to be in the moment, but I like to plan things out and like make sure like, I'm like, okay, I have a show and I'm going to work for that show and like do all of my work in order to get, instead of just like, throwing something so quickly out there that's just yeah it's consumable. it's not the quality anymore it becomes quantity and it's I, yes. I even had a friend who does the YouTube game and he's like it doesn't matter because I was like well it takes me a lot longer to, to put my content out because his is more mm. of a review kind of a channel situation he's like just put videos out you know you got to do like x amount a week and I was like right. it takes me a lot longer to think of mine get an idea write it yeah. then costume it direct film it edit it like it it takes a, a lot of time. time. And I was like, it's to come up with a creative idea. I was like, yeah, I have a lot of ideas, but to formulate them and, and get them to what people see on film, it was like, it's a very different process. And he's mm -hmm. like, it doesn't matter if they're not good. He's like, just all it matters is just pump out videos. Even if one's not as good as this one, doesn't matter, pump it out. And that was very disheartening to me. I was like, yeah, but that's I, not, an, most performers and entertainers don't like that. Like we're no. like, just put out crap. No, yeah. <laughs> no I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to spend yeah. time and like be proud of the work that I do. I think that's the thing to the detriment of comedy right now is that people want it turned around quickly and fast. And then you're right. It becomes about quantity instead of quality. And I think that's why we have so many YouTube stars, TikTok stars, things like that. When like before, you know, it took a Broadway actress who has been scraping by for years to get her own television show in the seventies. Yeah. Um, and compile this amazing cast of members, I do feel, and I still maintain as curmudgeon as I can be, um, that like com good comedy does take time. And because timing is everything with comedy, like, yes, you can be quick, you can fast or whatever. That's the skill though. Like churning it out is not necessarily doing something super fast and constantly is really a skill. I think it's just you're you're burning consumables at that point. And I think you just don't have anything else to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so what you're saying is you have a lot of time the on time. your hands. Cool. <laughs> that makes you valuable. Because like I played that game in the beginning of the pandemic because I had time and like we had time. No, during the pandemic it was like that right. or binge watch someone else's stuff they're making. It yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's and there are very talented people using, you know, it is a tool we have have to use and something that people can use it smartly. And I've seen some comedians, actors, different artists come to light through it. And I'm like, that's awesome. They were able to use that. But there's also a whole bunch of people getting huge and famous off of it because they just know how to play the, what I call the game. And they don't right. necessarily have the same talent. Like you said, it's just a skill of pumping it out. And I'm like, well, now we're just saying everybody could do it. And it's not, right. it kind of like downplays 
people that are actually really talented and putting them all in the same bucket. It's like, and it's funny because like I'm I'm now like I'm hearing myself talking about how Carol Burnett was like brought the comedy to the audience as opposed to like you know these very formal, and I thought that was <laughs> genius. And I'm like, huh. but it, it, you know, comedy is for the people. It is a common denominator in whatever group of people that you have and like whatever intelligence level that you have. But the problem is is that when everyone does comedy then it's like you can't you're gonna get the geniuses lost in the milieu of all of the random just loudness that you've got going on Mm -hmm. and I do think that everybody can do comedy if they want to I do believe that um it's very Bob Ross of me but (laughs) I know it's funny you said that because earlier when I was thinking everyone could be a comedian I literally was thinking of Bob Ross like we all can paint like (laughs) but like the celebration of a comedian in my mind is a much higher honor and I think that should be taken with a grain of salt as -hmm. compared to just being like oh I really enjoy this TikToker and I do I do like going on TikTok and watching people because a lot of the stuff is very funny but it is it does feel formulaic in that they're playing a game. My favorite thing is when within a safe realm, when things go wrong. Right, right. It's my favorite. Do you have like a, either a recent or a, something that comes to mind for a performance where something goes wrong and it just worked out? On cruise ships, a lot of like big boo-boos would just like constantly happen. Like I've had like my hair fall get caught in my dance partner's like costume. And so we can't like move oh, and we yeah. have to like dance Spirit off. While, yeah. And everyone else is like reblocking themselves to like fill in the holes. Or I've had like my fishnets get caught on a zipper. My legs like <laughs> caught up by my head and I'm like, ah, I've been dropped on stage a couple times. It's fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh my God. I, uh, one time I was stage managing Thoroughly Modern Millie and it, it was one of those nightmare shows where everything went wrong. Like yeah. sets were falling down in oh the middle of scenes and the spotlight or the lights or something were too dark and she completely just walks off stage. So you see her in the spotlight and then she just bam out of frame type of situation, then pops back up and keeps singing. And we were like, <sighs> whoa <laughs> like like she like show must go on was like and it was just it was so funny and it was just such a moment and like i think she had like a little bit of a limp but like still oh, continued God. to tap dance because that's the entire show it's just millie tap dancing Tapping. the entire time oh such a nightmare we also did we did subtitles because there are two characters that speak in mandarin mm-hmm. and we were doing subtitles and they got off on their script and i'm running the subtitles and like it was like I was going back and forth in their dialogue because I only memorized the sound of it and I, I don't know Mandarin very well. Yeah, I, I, you know what? You should brush that up. Like I should brush with, up my Mandarin. Yeah, with, <laughs> with the times. Exactly. Because of my like scrolling back and forth between the dialogue, it just looked like a jumble of letters, which made the audience laugh even harder. So... <laughs> 
So it kind of worked. Yeah, it kind of worked. Oh, oh, and our poster, for some reason, they spelled thoroughly wrong. And it was <laughs> it was Thou Roughly Modern Millie. It was just like everything that could have gone wrong for that show really did. Oh, my God. That was like a noises off show. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. my God. It totally was. I do love those moments, especially when it comes to when you're in a sketch show and something so innate, like you spend so much time writing and coming up with all these stupid bits. Mm-hmm. And then something is simple is like at one point I, I wrote this really funny it was like played a character I called her fat face Sheila which is not the greatest but you know <laughs> I just would tuck my chin into my neck and casually and, you know casually that and I was like she was like a football fan but at a Nora Jones concert okay. and I just had like flags with the name Nora on it and a big like ring of like pretzel necklace type thing that she kept eating from and it was just like this loud, awful character at a very sweet concert. And apparently I had like done something and I had this huge booger hanging out of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> and my scene partner called it out and I was like, well, you know, the entire scene is totally ruined. Now we have to address this. And it was so much funnier that I'm just this awful person at a Nora Jones concert with this giant hanging bug. <laughs> <laughs> It does. It was like the comedy gods were like, here's one for you. You got this. (laughs) We'll give this to you. Exactly. (laughs) It is. I think, you know, those beautiful disasters that actually end up making, that's some of my favorite things to look up, like things that were mistakes in movies that actually they were like, this is better. Let's keep it. Ah, Love it. One thing I remember was Melissa McCarthy talking about her audition for Bridesmaids. And she was talking about how she improvised some line about like this meat tray or whatever. And then she suddenly got into like talking about dolphins or something. And her reaction in the moment was like, Oh, reel it back, McCarthy. Like you're you're going all over the place or whatever. But they kept those like random That's rambling. like her character. That's her character. Yeah. That was like her whole thing. And I was just like, it just brings me so much joy when you, you go on like a, a riff or something like that. And it's like you think you're dying in the room and then they're like, No, let's keep that in for the script later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such an honor. It is, yeah. <laughs> and man, there's nothing better than I kinda wanna go back to this in the comedy world to um being able for someone to laugh at your pain and Ooh, suffering, yeah. you know, is kind of another like gift. Like the best yeah. thing I feel like we can have is when we are just miserable and we're like, at least it was worth something. They right. got a good giggle out of it. And I feel like a lot of, you know, it's a very stereotypical thing that comedians come from more dark brooding <laughs> kind of a, like it's just the darker we are, the funnier it is. And not as characters, but just as personal, you know, most comedians do have a very tragic, depressing kind of dark side to them. True. And I think it's why, at least for me, comedy is a coping mechanism, like to a T. So the yeah. more I'm like, ah, it's fine. I'm like, probably the worst I might be doing, but it's, <laughs> right. it's fine. But it kind of um, comes back to like the TikTok thing. Or we talk about that. I was like, yeah. I feel like they haven't suffered. They need to, <laughs> even, even you're talking about Carol Burnett, like she's a Broadway, you know, scraping by, you know, just yeah. put, pounding the pavement and putting her time in. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what those years look like for her, but there is a, a suffering to it. I lived in New York and yeah. tried to do the Broadway thing and Jesus, what yeah. a, I was up at like 4am putting fishnets on to line up with like 500 other girls. Right. Like it's, it's a rough entertainment's right. a rough world. It is. As my uncle always reminds me when he's like, are you still trying to do the acting thing? I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he's like, Thank that's you. a rough go, rough go. And uh, I'm like, I feel like it's always in my mind, it's rough in retrospect or it's rough in the moment. Mm-hmm. But like the stories you do get out of it are so insane and fun that like you wouldn't get that anywhere else. So that's that's the kind of stuff that I, maybe that's my dark side where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stick this out and see how far this goes. And <laughs> like, it's weird. Like, I, I mean, I had one audition once where the, I was looking at the address and I was like, I don't see this building. I only see a donut shop in the middle of Crenshaw. And I was like, I guess I'm going. And then my audition was literally in the booth of a donut shop. Oh my God. With this guy with this terrible hair plugs. And like, it was for, it was for, I mean, I should have, but that's, (laughs) that's the dark comedy side of me where I'm like, I really want this story. (laughs) Like it would have been smart. And like, I was in my young twenties too. So not the smartest in LA, but (laughs) I, I sat in the booth with this guy with these terrible hair plugs and I thought it was for a film which is also the stupidness of me and he gives me these sides and he's like I want you to go like really big with this like really go big with it and like I do it once and he's like no you got to be bigger you got to be bigger so I go huge with it um, just in the middle of a donut shop in a donut shop Amazing. in Crenshaw like like and then he's like you need to tone it down you're screaming <laughs> Like, are you kidding me right now? Um, and then, and, and then the like most iconic reveal. He's like, so it's no longer a film. We don't have enough funding. We're gonna do it as a stage play. And are you comfortable with nudity? And I was like, I gotta go. He's like, and it's in the basement of my mom's of my house. house. Yeah. What am I saying? It's L.A. L.A. doesn't have basements. It's in our garage. There <laughs> exactly. We go. There it is. Nailed it. Exactly. But yeah, you know, like that. That's that's the fun thing about comedy is that like you know you have these insane experiences but then you can laugh about like the irony and the weirdness of it all afterwards and then Abs- use it <laughs> exactly you're like i'm gonna exploit all the things that i had my worst days in i don't know about you but uh, during the pandemic i i ended up getting this job with a place called the go game where we host online corporate team building shows it's basically you're playing host or whatever digitally on a like a online platform and one time we sometimes we have games where we have several rooms going at the same time and we can hang out in the lobby and one of the hosts came out of their game and she was like i don't know guys i I think it just went awful i'm so embarrassed right now we're like what happened And, you know, a lot of the game is like typing in answers or clicking something. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's this one game at the very end. It's called Categories or Listorama. And you just have to just type as fast as you can something in a list, like the eight planets of the solar system or something like that. And so she's like, all right, guys, get your your fingers ready. Um, We're going to be typing real fast for this. Hands up and get excited. We're about to go into this. And then this woman started shouting at her and she's like, I can't do this. And she's like, what's going on? She's like, I don't have any hands. (gasps) And this, (laughs) it was like, and so she's like mortified because she's like, um, okay, let me see if I can give you a hand. Oh, damn it. And like kept like making these hands. <laughs> like, through the handbook, man, pamphlet of how to like, how to host the game. game. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't cover this in the chapter three of problems you might come along. Like, <laughs> right. And like, it, like she had just spent like an hour playing with this group and like it had, oh this God. hadn't come up until, and then she could not stop saying hand puns 
over and over. <laughs> and we're in the lobby. We're dying laughing. And we're just crying. We're like, oh, my God, Penny. She's like, I guess it is funny. Like, she was so <laughs> terrible. She's like, I was so, so like sad that like I offended her or like this whole situation. I had no idea. And like, it was so funny that out of anything that could happen in these games that like she happened to have a person that didn't have hands and luckily like you know the team helped her out and whatnot um and but she couldn't stop making hand puns it's like all that came to her <laughs> this is all that came to her during that moment and it's like it's that kind of like uncomfortable situation that like you just you have to laugh at it because yep. of course you know <laughs> like you, you do you have to laugh at it yeah gotta use it and yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing. I know I feel like now I'm trying to like think of stories like that in my life, but of course I can't think of any. And I know like 10 minutes True. after we get off the call, I'm gonna be like, oh my god, this one of time. <laughs> Always. Even like on stage things that have gone wrong or <laughs> Well and it, and it sounds like you do a lot of cruise ship shows and things like that. And I know that I did. Yeah, yeah. I did two years on cruise ships. Oh wow. Dancing, performing, singing. Yeah, yeah. I was dancing nice. and doing circus arts. So Whoa. I'm an aerialist as well. So I was dancing and doing it, which we had a, a full blown circus show on the ship. And it was crazy because I'd see someone like balance. Now I'm really unimpressed by people balancing on one hand anymore because I was in the circus for a long time. It's crazy. <laughs> the like, things you get nothing. used to. There'd be a guy that's like, well, guess I got to go do this. Just quick backflip, be like, okay, walk. And I'd be like, yeah, bye. And sometimes I'd be like, what is my life? Like, <laughs> <laughs> wait, this is normal. But the ship, we were moving, you know, we were rocking. I've seen a guy juggle like 17 balls on a moving ship and balance on one arm on like on a yeah, moving ship. ship. <laughs> crazy. We had a, an aerial act and it was a static trapeze act that some nights I was like, and we're swinging. Like we would just <laughs> go crazy. And I'm like, Oh God, hold on. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting. And people, cruise ship audiences are interesting because the show, they're not paying for the show. The show's just happens to be there and is free. So they're very, mm-hmm. will wander in and out as you're pouring your heart and soul onto the stage. I remember yeah. one time I was doing my trapeze act and like the first thing we sit up and I go to lean back to go upside down and I can see the front row and there's like a couple making out right in the front. I'm like, you're joking. And I'm just like, don't worry me. I'm just hanging up here by one arm, you know, 40 feet in the air. It's fine. It's fine. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> That's supposed to be some good kissing to just ignore somebody it's, hanging in from the air. It's Cruise ship audiences are a very, very interesting crowd. It depends where you're that. sailing. Your demographic changes from Europe to the US to, you know, you get your different demographic and it shows. It was interesting. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. But we've had, I mean, I've had some crazy, I know I was with Cirque du Soleil for three years in Vegas and. Oh, nice. We've had like people like come up on stage, like just drunk. Like oh, there was one God. guest that came up, you know, you get like stuff like that. And then that's the Vegas crowd. Cause they're there to party or, you know, my favorite was like when we'd go around at the end after curtain call and bow and we walk around and do little peace signs. We're like, Hey, you'd always see someone passed out drunk in the audience oh, or like God. sunburn over the summer where they just, they overdid it and got too much sun. And I was like, you miscalculated <laughs> your Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Experience. Oh God. Oh yeah. No, audiences can be crazy. And it, it is funny when like you get an audience member that just doesn't want to be there and it it's so interesting to me when when you get that person because it's like you you are free to leave at any time like no one is forcing you to be here we 
even kind of say that in our own game show sometimes where it's like no one like you can close a window out very easily if you don't want to be here but this is my job (laughs) and I like doing this your life sucks and I'm okay with that then I'm okay with that (laughs) I just kind of gonna circle it real quick back to lovely Carol Burnett show because I just saw something really interesting that I had no idea Hmm. did you know Dick Van Dyke was on the cast for a hot minute. Yes, he was. That's right. There was one book that talked about it where I think she kind of modeled some of her show after the Dick Van Dyke show, which Dick Van Dyke and his physical comedy makes so much sense when it comes to Carol Burnett because she was like, I mean, Dick Van Dyke could go from completely standing up straight to flat on the floor and then pop right back up. Yeah. well into his like 60s and 70s and still doing those bits. And it, it does feel that like Carol Burnett had some kind of influence from all of that. But I didn't know that mm-hmm. he was an original cast member, at least for a Yeah, it was the, I think, 11th year Harvey Corman left because he was starting to go do right. films and he had just done That's Blazing right. Saddles, which he's amazing. I love Harvey Corman yes. and I'm such okay. like, oh, and him in Blazing Saddles. And then I love him in um, Dracula doesn't loving it. I'm a huge Mel Brooks fan. Yes. Too, so. him, oh, Mel Brooks is writing to Harvey Corman just oh, gold, gold. <laughs> but he left, and so that Dick Van Dyke had been a guest before on the Carol Burnett show. So she offered for him to be part of the team, and he, and he came on. But That's the writers couldn't write for him. They they were kind of hitting this Ooh. discord because the writers were still writing for Harvey, and it wasn't oh. landing with Dick Van Dyke. And so he ended up leaving after a few weeks. Wow. He left. Yeah. And it just, it just wasn't gelling the styles, which is that's, crazy. Cause like you said, it's like, she's obviously clearly so influenced by him, but that's so fascinating. And it's, it is so true that like, they are very different actors. Mm-hmm. He's such a goofball, but like sort of the, the kind of almost the shill in a way where he's the reaction and Harvey could be the reaction. He was definitely, he played the straight man a lot or I feel like there's new terms for straight man, crazy man now, <laughs> but I can't remember what they are. Yeah. I don't know what they are. I heard someone call it the crazy man, the banana man. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Usually it puts the straight man on the banana that makes him fall, which I, I, I should adopt more, but yeah, no, I mean, the different like he could be both very easily and, I mean, when you've got Tim Conway or Vicki Lawrence um, or even just Carol Burnett, like being as loud and as big as they can be, that I could see how that might not gel as well. Mm-hmm. Dick Van Dyke is such a class act. And I, I wonder I wonder if there was a difference in terms of just like era of comedy um, and what people found funny between those decades. Yeah, I would definitely think that's a possibility of, you know, because I mean, Dick Van Dyke was still heavily coming out to around the black and white 50 sitcom, Mm -hmm. Honey, I'm Home, working with that dynamic. And Carol Burnett was definitely, I think, in that progressive, we're getting into the 70s, things are changing a lot. And so I think even just socially where things were at, where they sat in their comedy. It was was different. Yeah, they about different thing and it and you know i feel like the the bridge of that gap had to have been the smothers brothers like they really during the 60s turned around kind of that alt comedy flavor where you know double entendres were a bigger thing and whatever they could get away with on live broadcast tv especially like protesting the war and being able to kind of make that transition between like the guy in the nice uh, you know nice kid next door with the tie and the suit and everything but saying something very subversive they even had a sketch where they were basically asking the audience the television audience to send them weed but they called it roaches (laughs) (laughs) 
Smothers Brothers almost got thrown off the air like a billion times over. Consequently, Smothers Brothers uh, also brought up Steve Martin. They had him on their writing staff. And I, th- I think that the network didn't want Steve Martin on their uh, show. So I think one of the Smothers Brothers actually paid out of their own pocket to give Steve Martin a job writing for the show and kind of having that subversive type of that's talent. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's I think that was kind of the transition where, you know, like you have that subversive comedy and then Carol Burnett comes along and has, you know, that joyful in your own home and living room type of feel but still a little bit subversive and a, a little mm-hmm. bit edgy. Not not quite as like mad TV edgy, but enough. Okay, so we know you first discovered Carol Burnett in high school. So how yes. has, and you, you kind of did say this already, but how has Carol Burnett and the Carol Burnett show directly affected you? Or do you think made you the person you are today? Oh, several reasons. And I feel like I've had, like, I've never met Carol Burnett. Um, it would be a lifelong dream to either meet Carol Burnett or the Smothers Brothers. But when when I was in college and I, I like, had, my parents had gotten me DVDs of the Carol Burnett show and I was a big, big fan. And my senior year of college, actually, my mom passed away and she was big into comedy as well and kind of mm-hmm. helped get me acquainted with Carol Burnett um, and all of the funny things. She's a very funny woman. I was doing Once Upon a Mattress and I was playing the queen. Okay. And um, it was around that time that my mom had passed and my good friend Jane had written to Carol Burnett and asked her to come see the show. And I didn't know about this, but one day I got into the dressing room and there's this signed photo and a letter that said, so sorry, I can't make it to the show, but I wish you the best of luck. It's a great role to play. And uh, I'm like getting tears and like goosebumps. Wow, I know. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. And my my friend was like, you know, because your mom can't come see the show, like I was hoping that I could get Carol to come see the show. And I was like, oh my God, like this alone is insane and amazing. And I have that up on our wall. Um, oh, that's so right awesome. Here. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's like, I know, I'm like speechless. Like what, even the, th- the fact that she went out of her way to write to her to ask, but then the fact that Carol Burnett, you know, clearly I'm Responded. not surprised she didn't right. come. It's like, right. Um, it, it was sure, also sure you are wonderful, but um, it's- <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, trust me, I don't sing very well. Like, and I really don't dance, which is why I played the queen. <laughs> like, it's a very metered role. It has one song that's like I can talk, sing it through. But that's incredible. She sent sent something back and sent a signed photo. Wow, wow, yeah. Yeah, and it just it, it meant the world to me. And I I think even though you know, obviously you know it it's not my end all be all goal to like meet and like you know I don't know assimilate all of her comedy vibes or whatever. But like just that was like it was a, a thing of like caring that mm-hmm. that not a lot of people go the extra mile to do. Mm-hmm. And I and I think you can see that within her comedy and with how she treats her audience. And I think that's really, truly affected me, especially going into sketch comedy after college and like doing shows and kind of keeping the audience at the top of the mind because I don't know how many, you know, sketch shows you've seen of your friends where it's just like, they just want to dick around and be funny and it's like spotlights on me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, absolutely. Comedy is not necessarily about that. It's about a shared experience. And if no one understands what you're talking about, you're not going to get a laugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's kind of a waste of everyone's audience. It's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yes. And then it's just like, God, why, why are they inviting me to their improv show for one more time? It's just like, you know, like the time and the caring that it took for her to make such great content 
I think is the thing that really stuck with me and and kind of encouraged me to be like, you know, I, as much as like I, I see like people getting famous off of TikTok or having something blow up or whatever, who cares? I'm like, I, yeah, but at my heart of heart, like I know that like the time in the rehearsal, the practice, the writing, like putting in the actual work is really the thing that matters and mm-hmm. is going to make me better at what I do. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know what, I think if there's any comedian that we could think that would put in all that work and shows the love and care, it would be Carol Burnett. Amen. Thank you so much, Katie. For... Oh my gosh, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Definitely going <laughs> to do this again. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> You're coming back. You're coming back. That's glad we had this time together. Because it makes me feel that I Seems we just get started And before you know it Guess it's time for me to see So So, Gelsey, obviously Katie has a big background in sketch comedy. And I know during the pandemic, you signed up for a couple comedy classes, right? Actually, a little more recently, kind of after the pandemic, during my concussion recovery, I was like, you know what would be a good idea? Taking a comedy class. Yeah, taking a class where I have to think on my feet. <laughs> it, yeah, it was more It was more a, not so much a sketch improv class and performance class, but more the basics and structure and fundamentals of kind of like sitcom characters and writing. Okay. I know that you're a Saturday Night Live fan. We've had conversations off the air about it. Were there any other sketch shows that you were a big fan of? Yeah, I have the entire DVD collection of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Of course you do. (laughs) Duh, of course I do. And I used to sit in high school and like make a cup of tea and just put a DVD in and watch it and be like, "Mm, lovely. We'll obviously cover them in um, some future episodes. But... Yeah, I would say I I didn't grow up so much within Living Color, but it has been in my life and introduced and I've I've seen the gold there. Probably those two. All right. I mean, I also was a big SNL was clearly the door that it introduced it to me, but then going backwards and really finding a love for like the state and mm-hmm. like kind of that more that very Canadian side of things like the SCTVs and the kids in the hall and that just very warped, bizarre sense of comedy that I yes. feel like you only find in like sketch and improv. Which is why I love it. Because <laughs> yeah. that's kind of how my brain thinks. And I do think in these really like far out, like what if we had a situation where people are like, what are you thinking about? I'm like, no, 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 hear me out. And sketch and improv go there. And that's why I always love it. Another one I used to watch and totally forgot about was Mad TV because they were like yeah. the main competitor and then they kind of fell off the planet as well. So I don't know what happened there, but <laughs> whatever. But they kind of had longer form sketch format. And some of these other sketch shows did as well. Like even Monty Python, Carl Burnett, they, they would have that, but they also kind of had these little segments in between that was very like, set up punchline, bam, next. Set up, like yeah. they might have these like little interludes, which is a different format than SNL. And there was actually in, I want to say they're the early 2000s. Did you ever remember Kelsey Grammer started his own sketch show called the Kelsey Grammer sketch show? And it, I don't, maybe one season and (laughs) my family watched it and it was very fun. I mean, I love a good sketch show. Love Kelsey Grammer. I think there was a cast of like four 
main players. I can't remember who it was, but I know they're all like people you'd go, oh shit, yeah, I know who that is. And it kind of had that very similar format of like some longer sketches and then little in between just like really silly 10 second interludes. And it kind of brought it back to that style, which I really like. So I've never watched it. I've seen a couple clips of it. But are you familiar with the Dana Carvey show that was also extremely short lived? You know what? No, I do love Dana Carvey, but I have never watched any of that. So he had it lasted eight episodes (laughs) and the cast for the Dana Carvey sketch show was Dana Carvey, Steve Carell, uh, Stephen Colbert and and Bob Odenkirk. And then the writing team was Louis C.K. and Robert Schmeagel. That had to be funny as hell. That's like... Yeah, it's like the... But the problem that I heard about it was that they... uh, (laughs) They came out at like the worst possible time. You can apparently find a uh, couple documentaries about it where they're Hmm. talking about the... Like just how poorly planned it was. But... Dana Carvey said out the gate that he really wanted the show to be an edgy Carol Burnett type show. Okay. But they came, they were the follow-up to Home Improvement at like uh. 8 30 on, on ABC or CBS or whatever channel it was on. And I know that you can find a commercial that like they would always pretend one of the reoccurring bits was that every show was named after a sponsor that was okay backing the show so it'd be like this week on the taco bell dana carvey show or like next <laughs> week on the mountain dew dana carvey show but that you can funny but you can find a com- <laughs> you can find a commercial and i'll i'll insert the audio here because i will not do it justice abc tuesday a parent's worst fear losing a child i don't want to die dad We'll beat this thing, no matter what it is, you know. I'm not letting anything happen to you. A special home improvement followed by the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. (laughs) (laughs) I need to find this. This actually sounds right up my alley. (laughs) Well, before we sign off, obviously, we have to tell people where they can keep in touch with us in the meantime. Yes, send me funny memes, you guys. I live for that. Um, Please connect on Instagram at beforemytime underscore podcast say hey send a follow reply again those memes hey yo and then on facebook matt take it away well if you go and search for before my time on facebook you will find a whole facebook group where people are just sharing the stuff that they love from the past so come on and share with us all of that good good shit that you love so much from the past yes do it
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.